Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Lord God, in this season of epiphany, the season of manifestation, of unveiling, when you show us who you are, what you're like, what you intend for us, to love us, to know us, to bring us to yourself, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see you in a new and fresh way, and that you would open our ears to hear you. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, as I just mentioned in my prayer, it is the season of Epiphany. Last, or January 6th is Epiphany Day. And then we have a short season that we call the season of Epiphany. And I want to draw your attention again to our vision statement, which is summarized as, on the front of the bulletin, as behold and become. That our vision statement, I think it's kind of funny, is about seeing. We are saying we want to see something. We want to see God as he is. And why do we want to do that? Because that is how God has appointed our transformation. This is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, is that we with unveiled face, because of the spirit of freedom, are able to behold the glory of the Lord. And then beholding him, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. That, in sum, is what we hope this community to be, is that this is a place where we can behold God, behold Christ, and be transformed into his image. The flip side of the statement, behold and become, is what I call spiritual physics. The reality that whatever we pay attention to shapes who we are. So whatever we behold, we will become. Whatever we behold, we will become. Whatever we give our attention to is what we're giving our heart to, our affection to, our worship to. We will become that. And that's important for us to remember because I want to talk about Isaiah today. And Isaiah understood this about as well as anybody because he understood how awful idolatry is. Because he knew that idols and beholding these mute carved things that we would become mute, that we would become powerless because they are powerless things. So I want to look at Isaiah, but I also want to draw attention to the fact that our lectionary is just so on point today. <laughs> I love all three readings and the way that they work together. 
and the way that they're gathered up under the theme of the collect about Jesus's baptism and the reality that Jesus's baptism teaches us about adoption. So we have this passage from Isaiah that's about the servant of the Lord. We have this psalm where God is talking about David, his servant. We have this connection between the servant of the Lord and the Messiah, the anointed one. The one who comes after David, who's anointed to be a king forever in the line of David as God promised David, as he covenanted with him. And then in Luke, we have the anointing. One way to understand Jesus' baptism is that this is when he is anointed. This is when he is covered in the power of the Spirit and shown forth to the world to be the Messiah, the true son of David, the servant of the Lord. So all of these things converge. These readings go together in a beautiful way. And there's so much in them that I'm not going to be able to get to. So I'd encourage you, take the bulletin with you, look at these passages throughout the week. Meditate on them. See what God has to say to you through them. But I want to look at Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. And I want to look at these verses as an expanded, maybe director's commentary, deep cut version of what God says to his son at his anointing. Then in our gospel passage, we hear the father say to the son, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. <clears throat> Isaiah 42, one through nine is the expansive version of that. This is the uh, extended version of Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings, 20th anniversary, by the way, of that movie. Oh, yeah. And if you started watching it 20 years ago, you'd be finished now. It's so long. So I want to use uh, this season of Epiphany to talk about the unveiling or the manifestation, not just of Jesus, but of the Father. And the manifestation of the fatherly heart of God towards us because of his fatherly heart towards his servant, his son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So I want to look at Isaiah. So turn in your bulletins um, to page five, if you want to follow along. And look at verses um, one through five, or one through four, and how the servant is described. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. The Lord delights in his servant. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So he's empowered, he's anointed, he's given a mission to bring forth justice to the nations. And we can think of justice as you know, a hot, hot topic, but it also can just be an abstraction. What do we mean by justice? In the Hebrew context, in the Old Testament context, justice is always tied together with a person, someone acting justly. It's easy for us to lose sight of that in English because our word righteousness has to do with justice, but we don't necessarily think of it. To be righteous is to be a just person. So when we say that Jesus is righteous, we are saying he is the just one. So part of him bringing justice is bringing himself. Yes, he affects things. He releases people from the dungeons. He brings sight to the blind. He brings hope to the poor. But that's because of who he is first. That justice springs from who he is. So the servant we hear is the chosen one, the one in whom the father delights, the one on whom the spirit rests. And because of all that, he is able to bring forth justice to the nations. And in verse two, we hear 
a description of his character, the servant's character. And we hear in these verses a stark contrast to our general experience of power. Because in verse two, we hear that this servant, this leader, this one empowered by the spirit is not brash. He's not loud. He's not taking up all this space for himself. It says he will not cry abroad or lift up his voice. He's not yelling in the streets, drawing attention to himself. Verse three, he is not abusive. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. This servant actually serves. You may hear the phrase servant leadership and it can just be a gloss for people to do whatever they want. (laughs) Not so for the servant of the Lord. He's not abusive. He doesn't crush us. He doesn't quench us when we are just a little flame that's about to sputter out. And verse four, I think, tells us something about his energy. He is never going to weary. It says, he will not grow faint or will he be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. The task of establishing justice can be exhausting. Dave mentioned this last week, talking with a couple who was energized to do great things for the Lord. And the question that he asked them is, how's your prayer life? And that is an incisive and insightful question because when we try to bring justice in our own power and our own strength, we will grow weary. We will faint and maybe even grow cynical, grow hardened, grow to believe that there is no such thing as justice, that there's nothing but power. So it's good news for, to hear, for us to hear that there's a servant who doesn't grow weary in establishing justice, that he doesn't grow faint in bringing the love, mercy, the kingdom of God. So we see in Epiphany, we see the Messiah, we see the anointed one. Remember, just remember that word. Every time you hear that word, Messiah, it means anointed one. Every time you hear the word Christ, it means anointed one. And that is so important because it draws on all of the Old Testament and all this rich imagery of the anointed kings, the anointed priests, the anointed prophets that when Jesus comes, he is all of those things. So when we say Messiah, we're saying all of that. When we say Christ, we're saying all of that. We're saying anointed one, the one who truly is empowered with the spirit. So we see that this true servant of the Lord is the anointed one, and that we see that he is not like other rulers and that he is not like the gods of the nations, that he stands in stark contrast to idols. He stands in stark contrast to those things who have power for the sake of having power and drawing things to themselves. That the servant of the Lord has power in order to give it away, that it might flow out from him. And in verses five through nine, we hear the voice of the Lord speaking to his servant directly. We get an intimate insight of the conversation the exchange between the Lord and his servant. So we hear a voice. And the first thing I want you to notice is that this voice is the voice. What do I mean by that? This is the voice of the creator. Thus says the Lord God who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it 
who gives breath to people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. How did God create? He created through his voice. He spoke, let there be, and it was. This voice speaks, and he invites us to look at, survey the work of his hands, the heavens that he's stretched out, and literally the earth that he's hammered out. That's the language here. He invites us to look at his heavens, to look at his earth, to judge his character on the basis of his works as creator. And this voice, who is the voice, speaks a bold and powerful word to his servant. And by extension, he speaks to us. And what this voice promises is comprehensive care and ultimate justice. Comprehensive care and ultimate justice. And more incredible than all of this is that he binds himself to his word by appealing both to his work as creator and to his covenant with his people. He says, I am the God of creation, but he also says, I am the God of covenant, which means I've bound myself in relationship to my people. I have made promises to my people that I will keep. His servant is his answer his servant is the way that he keeps his promise. So he says, I will give you a servant, an anointed one, a Messiah, who will fulfill the covenant, who will fulfill all righteousness, and who in his very person will bring about justice. So this voice, the voice, the voice of the creator, the voice of the covenant God is utterly transcendent. He's the one who can stretch out the heavens. With the mere uh, word, he can create. But this utterly transcendent God is also intimately attuned to the cares of his people because he gives us his best. He gives us his servant. He gives us his beloved son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this is why it matters that Jesus is declared at his baptism to be the beloved son. That in the background of that statement is Isaiah 42, the Psalm that we read today, the promise to David, the covenant to Abraham, all of that comes flooding onto Jesus at the moment of his baptism when the spirit descends upon him to anoint him to fulfill all of that, to gather up all of the hope and expectation of the Old Testament and to fill it up to its fullness, to bring it to completion. In verse six of our passage from Isaiah, it says this, I am the Lord, I have called you, he's speaking to his servant in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. This is astonishing. He's saying that his servant is the covenant that his servant, the Messiah, the anointed one, is the covenant because he is the one who will fill it up, who will bring its promises to completion. I will give you as a covenant for the people, my servant, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased, you are the covenant. You are my promise. You are my presence with my people that I am the God who will bring about ultimate justice and comprehensive care. And this is why baptism is so important for us to remember that we are the community of the baptized. Look over at the collect on page five, this prayer that gathers 
the theme of this Sunday together. Listen to what it says. Eternal Father, at the baptism of Jesus, you revealed him to be your son and your Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Grant that we who are born again by water and the Spirit may be faithful as your adopted children. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I want to draw our attention to adoption. That baptism, this means of incorporation, is a means by which God makes us his children. And that makes all the difference in the world because the word that he speaks of delight over his son is a word that he can speak over us as his beloved children, as his beloved sons and daughters, because what does he do with his servant? He makes him the covenant. So if we're bound to the son, we're bound to the covenant and we receive the covenant promises, the promises of adoption, the promises of being true sons and daughters of God, the promise of being heirs. So I want you to think of baptism as a means of incorporation into the covenant, a means of, of initiation, but it's also a means of adoption. That we are in a sense joined to Jesus in his baptism and we are in a sense those who hear the declaration over ourselves that we are beloved children of God. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, has a beautiful chapter on adoption. It's very much worth reading. And he says in that chapter that, that adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The other way to say that would be this, it's the best part of the good news <laughs> that we could be children of God. Yeah, we're saved, absolutely. We're forgiven our sins, absolutely. We are justified, absolutely. But all of those things are simply a means to an end to make us God's children. And in baptism, Paul tells us we are united to Christ, that we are buried with him in baptism, that we are raised to walk in newness of life, that we become part of his death and part of his resurrection. That in baptism, we are hidden with Christ. We are hidden in Christ. And we become God's children through Christ and are made heirs through Christ. This is how God adopts us. The God of creation, the God of covenant, makes a means by which we can become part of his covenant people. It matters deeply that this is the Lord of creation and the Lord of covenant, that those things go together, that he made a world in which this kind of relationship was possible, where he could bind himself to his people by means of covenant. So in his baptism, Jesus is saying yes to God. And he's saying, yes, I will be this servant. He's saying yes to the covenant. And in saying yes to God and saying yes to the covenant, he's saying yes to us. God says to him, you have my favor. And Jesus in his first sermon goes into the synagogue in his hometown. And what does he do? <clears throat> he turns to Isaiah and he declares the year of the Lord's favor. I'm the favored one. And now I'm extending the favor of God to you and to the world. <clears throat> so Jesus is the beloved son. And he's the one who makes us part of the covenant. I was thinking about the phrase this week where God says, I make all things new. And I came across someone talking about this. And they said, all things new is very, very different from all new things. 
I make all things new is very different from I make all new things. How is it different? All things new means that God intends to work in and through the world he has already made. That God, as the God of creation, is committed to his creation that he declared to be good. And that through his creation, he brings about redemption. That these things are not opposed, they are in continuity with each other. All things new means that God intends to baptize things. That God intends to breathe upon things that God intends for his spirit to descend upon what he has made, that God intends to speak his words of delight over us and over his creation. All things new means that God will use the old to bring about the new. That's what Jesus is doing at the baptism, at his baptism. He goes back to the very place that Israel entered the land. And as a new Joshua enters the land again and says, Now we're going to get it right. I'm going to bring about the promise. All things new means that God will never, can never abandon his covenant. He will fulfill his promises. And what Isaiah gives us is an image of a servant who in some sense becomes the covenant in order to fill it up, not to abandon it, not to throw it on the trash heap of history, but to fill it up. Do not think, Jesus says, I've come to abolish the law. I've come to fill it up to its fullness, to its deepest and truest meaning. We hear that the servant is for the people, but he comes from among the people, all things new. He is not alien to them, he is a part of them. We see a Jesus merge from the very crowd of people who were there to get baptized too. He's part of the crowd. He emerges from the crowd. He identifies with the crowd to save them. Baptism is a picture of God making all things new. What could be more elemental than water? (laughs) And yet Jesus climbs into that water. And as the church fathers say over and over again, he sanctifies all water by stepping into that water. He steps into a new reality and he invites us to follow him there. In a word, he adopts us. In the book of Galatians, Paul says this around the theme of adoption and around the theme of epiphany. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Paul sums it all up right there. Why does the servant come? Why does the servant embody the covenant? So that we can be incorporated into the covenant and so that we can be called true sons and true daughters of God. And that the same spirit who descended upon Jesus fills our hearts and testifies to us that we are children of God and that we can cry by that spirit, Abba, Father. 1 John 4. How great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us that what? That, That we're saved? Well, yeah. That we're justified? Sure. No. That we should be called children of God. 
How great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. It's easy to lose sight of this stuff. It's probably the first thing to go. <laughs> it's the easiest thing to forget, and yes, it's, yeah, it's fundamental, that we are the beloved children of God, that he delights in us, that he's lavished his love upon us, that he became incarnate on our behalf to fulfill the covenant that we could not fulfill ourselves, to be righteous in a way that we could not be ourselves, to join us to him so that in joining us to him, he could speak, well done, good and faithful servant over us so that he could speak, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, you are my beloved children, and you, I am well pleased because you have been united to my son whom I love. This season of Epiphany is just a few weeks. I would encourage you to take the opportunity to, to meditate on some dimension of this. Just think of anything may, maybe that I said or anything in the liturgy or anything that we sang today or anything that was in the collect, just anything, a word or a phrase that struck you in the time that we've had together so far. Write it down, take it with you this week. As, a, as an entryway back into these scriptures, maybe go read that passage in Galatians 4 that I just quoted. I don't know what it is. I don't know what, what God did in your heart um, in the time that we've had together so far. But we have to hang on to those things because it's the easiest thing in the world to forget that we're beloved sons and daughters of God. Because it's the highest privilege of the gospel, it's the thing that gets attacked over and over and over again. <laughs> Because when we stop believing that we're beloved sons and daughters of God, then all of our doing and all of our striving comes from this place of trying to prove to God that we're already something that we are, that we are something that we already are. See, I'm your son. And God's like, I know. I already know that. I adopted you. I've spoken my words of delight over you. But God, see all this stuff I'm doing to show you what a good son I am? I know. Stop. <laughs> I delight in you. I love you. Yes, I want to fill you with my spirit. Yes, I want to release you to bring about this kingdom that my servant brings. All of that's true. But if it doesn't come from the heartbeat of you are my beloved child, then it's going to be anxious striving. And I don't know about you, but for me personally, I am sick of anxious striving. <laughs> We've had I mean, that's like the generational affliction that we have, but it's also the story of the last imponderably long COVID tide that we've lived through. Just anxious striving, trying to make things happen, trying to make it work, just doing stuff. And then it all, you know, goes away in a breath. And God is calling us this place of identity and security where he speaks over us. You are my beloved children because you are part of my beloved son. And he has done all the work. He's filled it all up. There's no room for you to fill any more up. <laughs> He's already done it. He's fulfilled the law. He's fulfilled all righteousness. So whatever we do flowing out of the delight of being sons and daughters, that is a different energy. That is a different place to come from. That's a place of service. That's a place of joy. That's a place of delight. And that's where I want to be. And I feel like that's what God's calling us into, is to 
move past anxious striving and move into joyous service where we said, I do this because my father delights in me and I delight in him. And I know that he does because he is the creator God and he is the Lord of covenant who fulfilled all things in his beloved son, his servant. Let's pray together and seal these things. Lord God, I thank you that you are Father. You teach us, Lord Jesus, to pray to our Father. And it's so easy to just slide by the fact that you came into the world to show us that the heart of God is the heart of a father. And not to just show us that, Lord Jesus, but to secure for us a place in your family. And I pray that you would bear witness to us as you promised through your spirit that you would overflow in our hearts and that we could cry out, Abba, Father. I pray, Lord, that you, we could hear you inviting us into a place of joyous service and away from a place of anxious striving. Lead us, Lord, in this new year, whatever it holds for us as individuals, whatever it holds for us as a community, I pray that we would be led forth in joy and expectation because, Lord, you are the God of creation and the God of covenant. And we ask all this in the name of your beloved son, Jesus Christ. Amen.